with another podcast. If you like listening to these podcasts, please subscribe and leave a good rating on iTunes. Also, share them with your friends and check out the other great podcasts available through the Diocese of Jackson Office of Vocations. Just visit jacksonpriest.com. That's jacksonpriest with an S dot com. Here's my homily from the Solemnity of the Most Holy Body and Blood of the Lord, usually called Corpus Christi. It was given at St. Joseph Church in Greenville, Mississippi. Growing up at the Cathedral in Jackson, today's feast of Corpus Christi was one of my favorite feast days. I love the emphasis on the Eucharist. Often we ended Mass with Eucharistic adoration and benediction. Sometimes we even did a procession. This feast day last year was the first Sunday Mass I celebrated as a priest, and so it holds a special prominence for me personally. I told myself back during Holy Week that since on Holy Thursday I didn't focus my homily on the real presence of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Holy Eucharist, that today I would use this as an opportunity to present that particular dogma. However, these past few days in prayer, something else has been coming up. And so despite the immense importance of the Eucharist, I'm going to have to hold back on that topic for yet another day. Instead, I want to talk to you today about the priesthood. Not just the priesthood, but one of its most often misunderstood and even criticized aspects, and that is priestly celibacy. Now, before I can continue, I need to make a clarification about terminology. People today get really confused about the difference between the state of life, which is celibacy, and the virtue, which is chastity. A few months back, I saw an article on Twitter where Justin Bieber had said he had decided to take a momentary vow of celibacy, and I chuckled a bit, because I seriously doubt that's what he meant to say, because he's not married. And celibacy is simply the state of being intentionally unmarried. Chastity, on the other hand, is a virtue which applies to the right ordering of the sexual faculty. For a celibate man or woman, or for any unmarried man or woman, chastity means abstaining from sexual activity, which is properly ordered toward the married state. And thus chastity for a married couple means the mutual fidelity of the spouses, that is to be faithful to one another. All people are called to chastity, but only some are called to make a perpetual promise of celibacy. Now, why do I bring this up today? Well, firstly, because the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist, which we celebrate today, relies heavily on the priesthood. There is no Eucharist without the priesthood. Now, that's not to say that God couldn't perform this miracle without priest. Rather, that God determined that he would perform this miracle through the ministry of his priest, just as in today's gospel, where Christ determined that even though he multiplies the loaves himself, it was for the apostles to distribute them. 
He associates his apostles, his priests, to his own miraculous priestly ministry. Secondly, priestly celibacy is something that is often criticized in today's society, especially in a time when more and more horrific stories come forward about priests who not only have been unchaste, but who have been unchaste in criminal ways. But for this, I remind you that celibacy and chastity, though associated, are not the same thing. It's illogical to argue that priests are more prone to become criminals because they are celibate, Because, well, there are many single men and women walking around among us every day, and we don't usually assume from the start that they are criminals, as people often make that assumption about priests. Now, you may say, they may be living an unchaste life. And maybe they are. But the example of those who do not live a life of virtue is not an argument against those who do. Similarly, the example of sinful and criminal priests is not an argument against the vocation that they have so woefully contradicted. But the real reason I want to bring this up today is because of the recent example of the now Mr. Jonathan Morris. And who is that? Well, you may remember him as the priest affiliate to Fox News. He's the one who always came out during the major events at the Vatican, papal elections and the like, and he would comment on them. Recently, he not only announced his decision to renounce his priestly promises and to request to be formally removed from priestly ministry, But he also appeared on Fox News and told his story of how he came to this decision. The major reason, apart from a personal failure during his seminary formation, where I think that he was the one failed by his seminary superiors, his reason was that he determined he is not capable of living a celibate, that is, an unmarried life. And so with all of this in the foreground, here is my defense of priestly celibacy. The first thing I will say is that usually when people ask why our priests are celibate, they are given a very pragmatic answer. They hear it's because it frees the priest to be devoted more fully to his parish. And there is some truth to that. Priests are often called upon at strange hours. There's the 4 a.m. phone call to the rectory, where the first question is usually, did I wake you? And the second is, what time is Mass? It is practical for priests to be celibate. But I find that a rather unsatisfactory response, mainly because it overlooks the possibility that there's any sort of route to celibacy in Scripture or in our Lord's own life and ministry. It's as if we just invented it out of nowhere. We always seem to forget that Christ himself was celibate, or that Peter, a married man, left his family behind to become an apostle. But even more so, we forget our Lord's own preaching about celibacy, Right after Christ teaches about the divorce in Matthew chapter 19, he goes on to say the following, Not all men can receive this precept, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to receive this, let him receive it. The word eunuch here meant the same thing then that it does now. People listening probably would have received this teaching in a rather uncomfortable manner, probably as you do right now. But since we know as well that the body is created by God and therefore is good, we can remove from the possibilities of our interpretation of this passage that Christ is commanding people to harm themselves. Rather, he is commending a group of people who have the strength to deny themselves the right of marriage to do so yet not for their own sakes, but for the sake of the kingdom. 
Now, this is a term with a lot of weight. Remember, Christ is already a king. He already has a kingdom, and all of us, by baptism, are citizens of that kingdom. The kingdom of God isn't a future reality. It already exists, and therefore, because it already exists, it is possible for people in this life to live as if they are already in that kingdom. Now, what do I mean by that? Maybe you remember the story of when the Sadducees approached Christ and speak of a woman with many spouses in her past, and they asked to whom she will be married in heaven. Our Lord replies, In the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. He reminds us that marriage is a state of life which is attached to this earth. Couples make their marriage vows until death. When a spouse dies, the other is free to marry again. He or she wouldn't be breaking a vow because marriage only lasts until death. But in heaven, none are married or given in marriage, as our Lord teaches. Rather, heaven is a state of perpetual celibacy. And if heaven already exists, and if we are already members of that heavenly kingdom, then it is possible, even for those of us who are still living on earth, to live as if we are in heaven, to be celibate for the sake of the kingdom, to choose to live in a public way the reality of heaven while still here on earth. Now, this is not something for every person. Christ is clear that this only applies to those who are able to accept it. But still, he says, he who is able to receive this, let him receive it. And what was the response of the people who heard this teaching from Christ? St. Matthew writes, when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. And so too has the world given this response to the church, as she commends her priests to live this way. Catholic priests take on a promise of priestly celibacy because they are meant to be an expression, a witness to the whole world of the reality of heaven, of the ministry of Christ. And that witness is made so much more powerful by those who, in a virtuous and loving manner, can live this life, can live the life of heaven while still on earth. Of course, it comes with its share of difficulties. That's often the fear of young men when they have to discern a vocation. Can I do this? Can I make this sacrifice? It's a good question to ask, but it is often asked for the wrong reason. Often, young men are worried about being able to live this life, not because they don't find themselves strong enough to do it, but because the world tells them they will be unhappy if they do. And that has a lot to do with the exaltation of sexuality that we have in society and have had for many centuries. But even a good marriage cannot be sustained by mere sexuality. There has to be something more. One of my fifth grade students asked me recently if priests are unhappy being unmarried. What did I tell her? Are you unhappy being unmarried as a fifth grader? Are there unhappy single people walking around? Well, yeah, at times. But this isn't a perpetual state. Our own happiness depends a lot more on love itself than on the manner in which we love. Think about the apostles. All of them leave their families behind to take on this celibate life in response to our Lord's own model and teaching. What happened to them? Most of them were killed, yes. But all of them died with such astonishing happiness and joy born only of real love. 
priesthood, after all, is, as St. John Vianney teaches, the love of the heart of Jesus. A man becomes a priest not to deny love, but to love in a very particular way, to be conformed to the person of Jesus Christ, who is love itself. G.K. Chesterton said, Jesus promised his disciples three things, that they would be completely fearless, absurdly happy, and in constant trouble. This, I think, is a fitting description of the priesthood. Priesthood requires a certain level of fearlessness. It takes real courage, masculine courage, courage to not only make the sacrifices that priesthood demands, but to face the world, the kingdom of the enemy, and to face it as a captain of our Lord's army. That takes fearlessness. Priesthood is full of happiness. Now, that doesn't mean that priests are perpetually happy. They are still living in this world. But they are happy, at least those who truly live this life. A 2011 study by the University of Chicago showed that the number one happiest profession in America is priesthood. And then constant trouble. There is constant trouble for a priest. The trouble of the parish, all the sick people, all the worries over the school, all the nasty letters sent to the bishop, all the people who call at 4 a.m. wanting to know the time of Mass. But our troubles are sweetened when done out of love. And so let me finish with three requests. The first, pray for priests. People are always asking priests to pray for them, for their family, for their marriage, for their job, and we do and we should. But pray for priest. You have troubles in your life and we have ours. Pray for priest. Because where the priest goes in the next life, many will follow. And so pray that we live this life well. Secondly, if you know of someone who is considering the priesthood, or if you even think someone should consider the priesthood, pray for him and don't discourage him. And especially don't badger him with questions about celibacy. He doesn't need that. And finally, if you are yourself considering the priesthood, do not be afraid. A life devoted entirely to the God who is love itself cannot possibly be a life without love. So do not be afraid. Hope in the Lord and have confidence in his promises. (laughs) 